Hello, this is Leslie Garfield-Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact. Today, part three of our four-part bar exam series, we'll talk with Chris Fromm, Executive Director of Institutional and Supplemental Programs for Kaplan Bar Review, about MBE strategies and how to answer MBE exam questions. Before we get started, a quick reminder, all of our episodes are available at www.lawtofact.com, and you can reach us at lawtofact at gmail.com or on Twitter at lawtofact. Today I'm speaking with Chris Fromm, Executive Director at Kaplan Bar Review. In my mind, there is no one better to explain strategies for answering MBE questions on the bar. Chris has been at this a long time and is so dedicated to the cause that he's taken, I think it's eight, we discussed it in the episode, bar exams to get the best grasp of exactly what bar examiners are looking for on the exam. Chris presents nationwide on the topic and chances are he's already been at your school. As a special bonus, Chris is offering a discount to Kaplan Bar Exam to our listeners. I'll share the code with you at the end of the episode. So here's my discussion with Chris Fromm. I'm certain you'll learn from it. Why is it so difficult to pass the MBE? I think that the MBE and, you know, the MBE is really important, right? Like I sit here in California where historically the MBE was only a third of the exam. So I think a lot of schools and and therefore, you know, bar professionals didn't really focus on the MBE as much because it was worth a third of the score. I think with the emergence of the uniform bar exam now in like 35 jurisdictions, the MBE is like half of every student's score, right? So we're talking it's a full day to begin with, right? It's, It's the Wednesday you know 200 question exam but it's 50 percent of your score and i think that there's this kind of failure to prepare for the mbe and and when i say failure to prepare i don't mean that that students don't have the chops i I don't mean that they don't have the passion i don't mean that that you know the bar companies aren't focusing you know on the mbe i think that life is not multiple choice. Right. Right. And I think that especially now, like our, our millennials and, and, you know, we're teaching the crop of millennials right now. And and I find myself so much thinking about better ways of connecting with my audience. What worked 10 years ago doesn't work the same way. I'm, I'm doing multimedia. I'm using a lot more tech in my classrooms Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things. Yeah. Let me, let me me just interrupt and say, cause, cause one of the things that I think is so interesting about you is that is it true you've taken every single bar in the country? Is that accurate? No, that's not. Um, how old do you think I am? Um, <laughs> that's, I mean, come on, that's like 25 years of bar taking. Um, but so but no, I have. Years of bar taking. Anyway, yeah. yeah. I've successfully sat for eight different states bar okay, exams. Eight. And, you know, now that now that the, the uniform bar exam is, I think 40% of all takers are taking a uniform bar exam. Mm-hmm. So, in those jurisdictions, because I've already passed the uniform bar exam in Arizona, in Colorado, in Hawaii, um, in uh, Oregon, I can't take another uniform bar exam because my score is high enough that I can port it to another state. So I think if I signed up to take it, it would set off some red flags as to, hey, why is this guy who's already barred mm-hmm. uh, taking this, you know, this exam? So. Um, and hey, I, you know, I don't want to lose my license to practice, so I'm not going to go in and steal questions from the bar. But, you know, we have, you know, 10,000 students taking the bar exam that we get feedback from. You know, when I'm teaching live, you know, across the country, 
I give my email out and students are writing back like, hey, this was great or work on this or we saw this on the exam. And as soon, you know, like last Christmas, I remember we were in um, in Hawaii and right before Christmas, the national conference put out the latest released questions. Mm-hmm. It was like Christmas came early for me because I was waiting at midnight for the, for the release so I could buy them because I wanted to see what the new questions look like. Right. So I'm monitoring the exam, you know, but I haven't taken like every one, but, but I think you enough. can still. Yeah. Well, oh yeah. So yeah. You, so you've taken enough exams And the reason you take those exams is so that you really, I think more than anyone in the country, I'll go on a limb and say, have an understanding of what it is bar examiners are looking for when they give the multiple choice bar exam questions. And so I I, I agree with that. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, yeah. for sure. (laughs) And and as I was preparing to talk to you, I I, I kind of, I, I guess... Loving what you do and loving your job Mm -hmm. is good, but it also means that you don't update your resume that often. So I was kind of looking at my resume. I've been an adjunct at 25 different schools across the country. That might be the record that we're we're, we're looking at right there. But they've all been MBE focused. Like this semester, I'm at Hastings. I'm at... um, University of San Francisco, and I'm at uh, Santa Clara University, and all of the classes I teach are MBE focused. Right. Because, because that is, you, you know, the, the <laughs> yeah, and that's the most most difficult and challenging part of the bar. But to, to go back to kind of why it's, it's I, I think it's so challenging is because mm-hmm. this millennial generation is creative. They are expressive. And when you're boxed in with four answers, none of which you necessarily wrote yourself or like, it, it becomes polarizing, becomes very challenging to kind of choose that that right answer uh, or that preferred answer. And I also think that uh, they're, they're just not wired to do multiple choice questions because they weren't big in high school. They weren't big in college and, and law schools. I mean, I, I think that their hearts are in the right places. These first year professors who write multiple choice questions, mm-hmm. but if they don't look like the bar exam questions, mm-hmm. I think they give students a false sense of security if they do well, right. or they're giving them a slightly tainted version of what the bar is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And then you know, here I am, third year, second semester, trying to write a ship that never really got set off on the right course to begin with. Before you teach the nuts and bolts of taking multiple choice questions, what do you tell your students to prepare them? Absolutely. The number one thing students need, there's no substitute for knowledge of the law. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of students want to just jump right into doing multiple choice questions because in some ways it's a fun testing mechanism, right? Like, Hey, I got, you know, two minutes to do a question. I can do five questions in 10 minutes, like not that big of an investment. Whereas like a performance test where I have to sit down and write for 90 minutes, like that's a big investment of my time. Right. Uh, I, I think that multiple choice questions, you got to know the law first. And a lot of students, I think, want to just jump right into the doing of questions rather than step one, get the law into your head and now go into those questions. Mm -hmm. And so, so superior knowledge of the law is important. Like, I don't think, I think if you're a great uh, test taker with multiple choice, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to do better, but I don't think that you can just game the system by being a good test taker. You've got to know the law. Okay. And I, I also think going back to our earlier point of why it's so difficult, I think students fail to appreciate the volume of information that they're going to need to be familiar with in that, you know, it's seven MBE subjects, right? So we got contracts, con law, 
uh, civil procedure, criminal law, and then towards evidence and property. So basically everything you took first year and probably half of what you took second year, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So so we're talking, it's like, you know, six semesters worth of information that you've got to cram back into your head in less than a semester's time. Right. And I, I think in... in so at Kaplan, I head our tutoring program as well. So I talk to a lot of students who have been unsuccessful. And the first step is like, why do you think you were unsuccessful? Like, like where, where did you fall off the rails? And mm-hmm. I can look into a student's account and see how much work they did. And we're finding over and over and over again that students aren't putting in the work. And I think there's a couple reasons why that that might be. Well, before but, you say before you say why, I yeah. just want to. I heard a statistic, and I don't know if it's true, but I heard a statistic that only like thirty percent of the students do seventy five percent more of the work. Yeah, and yeah. that's just mind-boggling. Say, say that again. Say say that again. Only 30, I think that's important. Okay, yeah, only thirty percent of the students do seventy five percent or more of the work which means that yeah. 70% of the students aren't doing what's required of them. And of the 30% that are, they're not even doing all that's required of them. Yeah, and, and, and that number is staggering. And, and here's what gets me. That that number, that, that that mindset has become acceptable, right? Like right. when you look at, right. you know, walk onto a law school campus and look at, you know, Kaplan's table, Themis's table, Barbary's table, what do you see? You see pass rates based on percentage of work done. Mm-hmm. That's ludicrous mm-hmm. because there shouldn't there's there's not an acceptable amount of work done less than what's required. Right. You, you can't say, you know what, judge, I got three quarters of the way through this brief right. and that's good enough for you right, right now. Like, no way. That's not acceptable in life. Yet we're now embracing that as bar companies. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. And, that's what I and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what that's the thing I always say to my students, like I sing high school musical, you know, we're all in this together because they want us to help them pass <laughs> the bar. But. You have to do it yourself too, right? You have to do Absolutely. the work. Anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and they're just and I think they're not they're not putting in, in, in the work because they they are multitaskers. And hey, they are better than our generation at multitasking. Right. But I do think that certain things can be multitasked, right? Like I can be baking a pie and I can be folding laundry at the same time because right. they're different skills. Right. But I can't learn and do something else at the same time. Like right. I can't have open my outline and be watching a movie because some of one is going to feed into the other and vice versa and my foundation is going to be off. Yeah. So, so I think that they, they fail to appreciate the amount of time they're going to have to put in and there becomes like, you know, week one of bar prep. Okay. I fell behind by, you know, an assignment week two. All right. I'm behind by two assignments week three. I'm behind by, you know, four videos or something like that. I, I think all of those things are, are, are fine. Right. Or, or maybe you just skip something, whatever, but there becomes, or there comes a point in time where you are beyond the catch-up phase, right? Like Mm -hmm. there are students who, let's say we're talking about the July bar or even the February bar. Um, You know, when you turn that calendar page to the last day, so July 1 or February 1, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, the bar's in three weeks. And you look and you're two weeks behind. Mm -hmm. You cannot play catch-up at that point anymore. Mm -hmm. It's like you're past that point of no return. Mm -hmm. And I think students don't realize that and, and they fool themselves you know, two weeks before saying, Oh, I, I can make, I can make up that distance. You can't 
because other students are running just as hard, just as fast, and you can't run any harder and any faster. Right. All right. So that's the best takeaway or the first most important takeaway that you've said, which is you got to do the work. You've got to put the work in and you can't put it in the last minute because the bar is curved. You're being measured against everybody else. And those yep. students who are doing the work are ahead of you. So that and that's an easy fix, right? That just means not, you know, doing the work, putting away your cell phone, um, and focusing on the work. It's you know, it's just it's it's six weeks of your life, and you don't want to do it again for the next, you know, another six weeks. Yeah, these students, Leslie, are are bar able, right. but they're not necessarily bar ready. Oh, that's interesting. So they're that's exactly right. They're bar able, but not bar ready. I love that. I love that. And right. and. Yeah. And when I talk to these students who were unsuccessful, right, I, I sit down with them, I look at their scores, and I, I ask them kind of what went wrong, because it's never in a vacuum. Oh, I just didn't know torts. Oh, what was that third element, right, of negligence? Mm -hmm. It was that, you know, the, the work-life balance was mm -hmm. off, that mm -hmm. they spent too much time in one place versus the other. Mm -hmm. So really, uh, you know, the, the people define insanity as like doing the same thing again and expecting a different result. Right. So mm -hmm. I want to kind of break that mold. Why are you stuck in the mud? What do we need to do to move forward? Because hope is not a strategy, right? <laughs> yes. well, well, I mean, seriously, <laughs> hope is not a strategy. That's, a great, that's true. That is absolutely true. You know, <laughs> luck is not a tactic. I mean, we want both of those in the exam, mm -hmm. but we need to know the law and we need to have a plan of attack. And that's what I do all day with my students is plan of attack. How do you attack multiple choice questions? Because one thing that, and, and it's great, you know, I've been with Kaplan now for 13 years uh, in, in just bar prep. And yet they've been in, in test prep for, you know, 70, 80 years, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm like a kid in a candy store when I go to the New York office because there's all these other business models or units that I can go to and see what they're doing with their students that they've been doing for a while. And one, one thing, there's this guy, Bob Varini, who works for us, who's like this big director of testing. He's like this real guru. Right. And he, he showed me this thing called the worked example, right? Where basically you're making the student aware of what's required, what the, what the ask is in each individual question by the, the examiner, whether it be the LSAT, the, you know, the bar examiner, the ACT, whatever exam it may be. Yeah. And what you do is you put yourself in the mindset of the examiner. Right. And if you can figure out what the skills needed are, you can define them, you can repeat them. That isn't hope. That is something that you can bank on, right? Mm -hmm. So what I work on with my students is certainly their confidence, but I want them to have a plan of attack. Mm -hmm. That way, the student becomes the expert. I want to impart my approaches to the students so that when they go into the exam, they're walking through the process rather than just blindly reading through a fact pattern and hoping that they get rid of an answer choice or two and maybe by luck get the correct answer. All right. So, so step, so, so point number two is make a strategy that you need a strategy before you go in. Is that what absolutely, absolutely. And think about it. You've got 200 multiple choice questions. You have less than two minutes per question. Right. Right. When I gave my, my, my midterm this semester at, uh, at Hastings, I walked around as the students were taking the exam. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I saw that I loved because I, I preach it is you have to attack the question. I not passively sit back and read it, but literally circle things, underline things. Oh, speed limit 55. Does that go to maybe negligence per se? Like what was the purpose for that phrase or that fact being mm -hmm. put in there? Mm -hmm. If you weren't actively engaging that, 
it. Mm-hmm. One, you're, you're not going to see it. Two, maybe you see it the second read through. But if you're doing the second read, you've already blown your time. So I saw them really actively engaging the questions, but I saw one guy who looked at a fact pattern. I stood behind him for five minutes and he mm-hmm. stayed on that question. And afterwards I, 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 I saw, you know, he handed in a Scantron and it was 50 multiple choice questions. He ended at question 44. I'm like, man, you left seven or six points on the table. You know why? Because at question 35, you spent five minutes. No one question is worth more than any other. I mean, I mean that's a strategy, right? You gotta have a plan of attack and you yeah. gotta follow it. Wow, that makes perfect sense, and I totally agree. Can you can you summarize a plan of attack? Like, if you had to, if you had to say to a student who, in in five minutes or less, this is what I think you need to do. Which, what would you say? Step one, you got to know the law. Okay. Don't take the don't take the bar exam if you don't know the law. Period. Okay. Um, I mean, unless you want to be a martyr, unless you want to say, "Hey, I'm a veteran now of the bar exam because you're taking it for fun." Fine, but you got to know the law. Right. Then. You, you have to have a plan of attack and your plan of attack for multiple choice questions, I think is very simple. You need to know what the ask is before you start. Like nobody goes to the grocery store without knowing what they want, right? You have a list, you, you have, oh, it's, it, it's Italian night at the farmhouse tonight, right? Mm-hmm. Or I'm, I'm grilling out. Like you, you kind of have in mind what you're looking for. Why? Because it makes your trip to the store quicker, right? It's right. all about expediting the process. Efficiency is critical. Right. So looking at, looking at the call, sometimes it says, you know, what, uh, what crime will Joe be guilty of? Okay, mm-hmm. boom. I know that it's about criminal law or Maybe I skim the answer choices and the first two say constitutional or the the first two say admissible. I now know, oh, it's about con law or it's about evidence. Because before I start reading that fact pattern, I should know what subject, maybe even what topic I'm in, because it's going to make my read of the facts more effective. Right from the get-go, when you read the question, know the ask, know what area of the law you're in. That's an excellent point. Leslie, so two weeks ago, uh, right before we were about to go away on morning, I went out to the car and the car wouldn't start. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, great. So I call up AAA, right? right. Now, AAA has, has offices across the country, right? Across the world, probably. Mm-hmm. And they asked me a series of questions, you know. What's wrong with your car, basically? Is it the engine? Is it the battery? Is it the tires? And, and you know, I, I answered their questions because, you know, you want help, right? Right. And what I realized they were doing is they were narrowing down what resources they needed to bring to me. Because if my car is wrecked, they need a big tow record, right? One of those really big trucks to haul it away. Right. If it's the engine, they probably need more tools. If it's the battery, they probably need just the battery charger or a spare battery, right? Mm-hmm. They prepared by, I mean, and they have limitless resources, but they didn't want to drag all those resources out to my house. They wanted to be as sufficient as possible. Right. When students go into the MBE, they have seven subjects worth of resources in their mind. Isn't it great when you start a question to know it's only about contracts so you yeah. can leave the other six subjects somewhere else, right? Like mm-hmm. only focus on what's important. And I think that analogy makes sense to most people because if you can start to say this is about con law, then anything that talks about, I don't know, property or evidence is irrelevant. Okay. And it's really about 
finding your way through the weeds, what's factually important and what's not. Right. Interesting. That's a great point. All right. So we have, um, don't take the bar exam if you don't know the law. Perfect question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Make sure you plan your attack, which is your strategy, right? And the first thing is know what they're asking. Get into, when you read the question, figure out where it belongs in the bucket of doctrinal topics we're talking about. What's next? Yep. Next would be an active read of the fact pattern. Aha, uh-huh. critical reading. They, we need to teach students how to be good critical readers. All right, yes. Go. And think, think about this. Criminal law, there are elements to crimes. Right. Torts, there are elements to torts. Mm-hmm. Contracts, contract formation, offer, acceptance, consideration. I mean, they're looked at as elements that you need for a valid contract. Right. Evidence, right? You have dying declaration. You need an unavailable declarant who thinks he's about to die and says something that goes to the cause or circumstances of the death. There are elements, right? And from an essay standpoint, I love those because they're a checklist of things that I'm looking for in my fact pattern to marry up with the law to get all of those points in the analysis section. Mm -hmm. How does that equate to multiple choice? Well, if I know this is about civil battery. Now I'm looking for the harmful or offensive contact with a person of another. So armed with the law, I'm now walking through my fact pattern. Joe, comma, running late for work, comma, um, runs into Bill, who's drinking his coffee. So I'm like, oh, and, and the coffee spills on him. Well, I don't know about you, but coffee spilled on me would be harmful or offensive. It burns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I need that element of intent. And here he was running late for work. So this is probably more of a negligence action than it is because he failed to act as a reasonably prudent person than an intentional tort, right? So I'm reading actively for those triggers. And I know before I even get down there that they're going to try to get me to fall for battery, but there's no intent. Mm-hmm. Like that's an active read. If, if you get to the bottom and you're like, oh, okay, now I know what the, what the question is asking me. Let me go back up and read it a second time looking for specific things. Right. You can't do that because you don't have time. You're already two minutes behind and, and, and it's like, um, you know, cataclysmic, right? Where if you're two questions behind, then you become four questions behind, then you become eight questions behind and you can never catch up. Mm-hmm. So you got to read actively looking for those those triggers mm-hmm. that tie to elements of crimes of torts. And 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 I, that's why I think we say take 50 do 50 or whatever this magic number is multiple choice questions every day while you're studying for the bar so they get you get a sense of through active reading what the trigger words are. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that it, it does two things, right? It's kind of like when you go to the gym, right? You start off with your cardio, you do a, a warm up of the body and you should do the same thing. Your mind is a muscle, right? Mm-hmm. So you should do a warm up with multiple choice questions to get your mind kind of um, firing on all seven of those uh, cylinders. It gets you actively engaged in the question. It gives you absolute familiarity with the questions. And I think the other big thing it does is it helps to reduce testing anxiety mm-hmm. because it's like, Hey, this is old hat, right? It's like some students go into the bar exam only having practiced four or 500 multiple choice questions. Mm-hmm. Kaplan has found over the years. I mean, we are so data driven. It's, it's a little, it's a little um, um, crazy, but we have found over the years that around 
1,600 is the perfect number of questions for students to do. And it doesn't even matter, Leslie, how students are doing on those questions in practice. Mm -hmm. It's simply that they're doing them. I want to repeat that. That's a really important point. 1,600 questions prior to taking the bar is the sweet spot. That's a really good data giveaway. 1,600 is the home run. 500, you're striking out. 1,000, you're fouling it off. Like you're close, but you're not there. 1,600, you're now so familiar with the questions, the way they're written. That's the key to success. And it doesn't matter how you do. You could be only getting 55% of them right, Mm -hmm. but it's about the number that you did, not about the percentage correct. Good. That's interesting. That's that. That's hopeful, actually. I like that because it doesn't mean you have to get them right. It just means that you have to do them. And that goes back to the point that we said, prepare for the exam. So if you do the 1600 questions, whether you get them right or not, as long as you do them, you're sitting yourself in a better position for success on the bar exam. Absolutely. And I would I would um, I would be upset at myself if I didn't say this. Right. Mm -hmm. There there's so much noise out there about like. LSAT tied to bar passage. And absolutely, you know, I I don't go so far as to use the word correlation because I think scientifically that has a very different um, definition. Mm -hmm. But anecdotally, the better you do on the LSAT, the better your chances are of passing the bar, right? Right. Period. Um, But it's not a foregone conclusion that you got a 175 that you're going to pass the bar. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly not a foregone conclusion that you got a 155 that you're going to fail the bar. I think if you get a 155, you have a three-year runway to the bar exam, meaning you know that the bar is going to be a challenge, but it's not impossible. And that's why I am bullish about schools bringing me in, bringing Kaplan in early, first year, second year, and, and starting just a little bit with multiple choice test taking. I I don't want a professor to just give multiple choice as a final because then the students are like even more fearful of multiple choice, right? And also it's really important to know what is the ask? Like sometimes it will say the call, right? The the prompt, the thing that you're asked to answer before the the four multiple choice, right? right? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it will say, what is, what is the defendant's best defense or is the defendant guilty? Mm-hmm. Well, if it asks you, is the defendant guilty, now you're an umpire. Now you're a judge. You're calling balls and strikes. You're looking only at, is there a sufficiency of evidence, right? right. But if it says, what is the defendant's best defense, now you have to put on your defense attorney cap, right? Mm-hmm. Now you have to think, okay, strategically, not hope, but strategically, what do I need to do? Ah, this is a burglary question, and there needs to be breaking and entering here check check it needs to be some occupied or some um separately secured structure oh you know what this isn't a separately secured structure therefore an element that we need is missing like you have to you have to know kind of what your examiner is asking you in that particular question Mm -hmm. so that you can then go to i think the most important part which is process of elimination that is the last kind of um uh, requirement that I put on my students mm-hmm. process of elimination. Leslie, we are such a consumer driven universe anymore, right? Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't say what we don't want. We say what we want. We don't go to three restaurants that we don't want to eat at and then default to the fourth one. We go right to the place that we want to be, right? right. We, we are, a cl- we are a click away from anything that we want. And that's how we go. Mm-hmm. We don't go by process of elimination. 
Right. We go after exactly what we want. I know exactly but- what you're going to say. So, and this is, a, this, I'm, I'm going to tell you what you're going to say, because I get it completely. <laughs> I look at an exam question, and this happens in law school too. You look at an exam question and you immediately say, aha, I see the breaking and entering. And you forget to look for anything else because you found something. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then by yep. finding that one thing and sticking with that one thing, you don't look for the other stuff. And by not looking for the other things that you should be looking for, the other issues, you don't address them. And so you lose the points. Is that what you're going to say? Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> I'm excited. And, I and, know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we are, we are also easily entertained and I think mm-hmm. we want to be entertained. And when there's something that is just put right in front of us, it is so bright, shiny object. It is so hard to look away. Right. And bar examiners, like I call myself an MBE archeologist in that every time they release questions, I'm sitting with them, ripping them apart, looking at how they're crafted, how they're constructed, because they are so expertly made. It's like they're made in a lab. Hmm. There are no kind of superfluous facts. Like they are machine engineered. Right. It's, it's beautiful. And in trying to, to simulate the exam, it's best to look at, at the actual questions. And I find that they will throw an answer choice in a, let's say, right? So the first thing you look at is, oh, this wasn't in writing. And it automatically makes you think, oh yeah, statute of frauds. But that's probably not the issue. But because that's something that you remember from law school, you fixate on that or you focus on that. And that now becomes the issue in the question. Yeah. And and so if you, I think if you know what you're being asked and then you actively read through the question, you know what the issue is. You know, if you got that, crime or tort or hearsay exception, or you don't. And then you look at your answer choices. And basically you should always like, I don't ever want students to have a, um, I want you to have a predictive answer, like, Mm -hmm. like outcome, right? Like, yes, he's guilty or he's not guilty, but I don't want you to have this absolute answer you're looking for because chances are, it's not going to be down there. And if it's not down there, then you feel deflated. Like, Oh my God, the thing I wanted wasn't there. Therefore I'm going to get this wrong. No, you have a predictive outcome. Yeah, it's constitutional. So I'm going to look at those two answers that talk about constitutional and then process of elimination. Oh, this one's talking about the the 14th Amendment here, but that's not applicable in this situation. So I get rid of B, therefore A is right by default. Like that's process of elimination because every answer choice you get rid of, you're increasing your chance of getting it right. Right. All right. So let me ask you, by bullet point, what are the strategies you would tell students to do? So Rocky Balboa, you know, uh, is, is my guy. And and what advice would I give Rocky Balboa going into the last round of a fight? What, what advice would I give to one of my bar students right before they go into the MBE? You got to have a plan of attack. You, you can't just be swinging wildly because you're going to get knocked out. You have to have a focus. Mm-hmm. And the best way to have a focus, because that clock is running against you, is to know what your assignment is before you start reading the fact pattern. Okay. Therefore, you look at the call. The call to question is either going to tell you the subject, you know, A is suing B for battery. Boom. You know, it's torts. You know, it's an intentional tort. Now you look at the elements that you need that you have memorized and you walk through the fact pattern looking for them. 
Or maybe, and we're seeing the national conference now has this new call that says, which of the following is most accurate? Well, that doesn't help me figure out torts versus evidence versus criminal law, right? Mm -hmm. So what do I need to do? Just skim the answer choices because they're going to say admissible or inadmissible. I know it's evidence. They're going to say constitutional or unconstitutional. I know it's con law, right? Mm -hmm. Now, armed with that, kind of the analogy earlier of the, you know, the, the AAA truck, I know exactly exactly what body of law this question is asking me to use. Right. So now I read through looking for those facts, those triggers that are important to the analysis in towards specifically in negligence, whatever it is. That way I am reading much more efficiently mm -hmm. and I only have to read it one time. So that when I get down below, I have a predictive answer, like an outcome. Yeah, I think this guy's guilty. So I'm going to probably gravitate toward the two answers that say he's guilty. Or I saw, this is the most astute thing you can do, I saw that it wasn't a dwelling house and that's needed for burglary. So down below, I'm thinking he's not guilty. So I'm gravitating towards those two answers. Right. But I'm not looking for an absolute answer because I have to go, have to go by process of elimination. Mm -hmm. I got to get rid of a, a wrong answer choice or two. Then I'm down to a pair and I do a value proposition between them. Hmm. Which one is more directly on point? Which one is, is, is true? Which one is, is eh, maybe true? Which one speaks more directly to my facts? Great. That's the way that you move through these questions, but it's got to be by process of elimination. Mm -hmm. I think we are consumer driven. Therefore, we're looking for the absolute right answer mm -hmm. rather than process of elimination, mm -hmm. settling for the best of what's there. Mm -hmm. that, that's a that's a great takeaway. That's a wonderful takeaway. Um, wonderful. Anything else that you think um, you want to add to this? I would say to my audience of of students, whether they be millennials or, or slightly older, that don't underestimate the time needed to prepare. Mm -hmm. uh, really think of this as a series of sprints rather than a marathon, you know? And you, you talked earlier about like putting the phone down, putting the phone away. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can't say I'm done with social media for three months. No way, because that's been that's that's in their DNA, right? right? So I think what you do is you say, you know, send that last text, take that last selfie, whatever it may be, you know, like that last uh, thing, Pinterest, whatever you need to mm -hmm. put it away, then do a deep dive for an hour, then pull out. Right. Pick I, up your phone again and check back in, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I just was talking to a student and I said, like law school, we have the 50-minute hour. I said, give yourself a 50-minute hour, 50 minutes of study, yep. and then 10 minutes yep. you can do your social media, you know, or whatever. Yep. So anyway, um, well, Absolutely. This, this has been really helpful, um, really helpful. And I'm so thrilled that you... Um, I'm so yep. thrilled that you I'm so thrilled that you took the time to speak with us. I really do think that no one no one has dedicated their career to understanding the MBE more than you. And um, so we're really it's a pleasure and an honor to have you with us. So thank you so much. And thank you for giving us your time. Absolutely. Pleasure is all mine. Good luck to everybody out there uh, taking exams and, and eventually the bar exam. Maybe I'll see you in bar prep. Wonderful. Thank you. So that's my discussion with Chris Fromm. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to take Tappan and like a $100 discount, use code LAW2FACT100. That's L-A-W, the number 2FACT100, and you'll get $100 off the Kaplan Bar Prep Program. 
Thanks as always to www.bensound.com for the music. And again, if you want to reach us, you can email us at lawdefact.gmail.com or find us on our website, www.lawdefact.com. Hope you have a nice day. 